house. No, the right no, house. I did it. Get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Got you all figured out. Grew up in Kansas, and Mama probably baked apple pies. Yo, everybody, this is Danny. Danny, welcome to New York. Don't use your real name. It was run by the mob. We're an organization that fights for gay rights. What are you looking at, faggot? Up against the wall. This is what we're fighting. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast screeching into Meryl Streep's dispassionate face while Alan Arkin just kind of stands there. Every week just on tell me he's okay. <laughs> I will not. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy on the star quarterback who threw the first brick at Stonewall. Oi. Oi. so gay! <laughs> we are going to talk about a movie this week that tells the inspiring true story of a bunch of newsies who fought for their freedom and something something forced prostitution. I don't know. There's a lot going on in Roland Emmerich Stonewall that I don't know why it is there. Yeah, it's also the story of how I slowly and like methodically lose my mind over two hours and five minutes. Yeah, there's that too. So we are talking about uh, uh did, did i say hi i'm your host joe reed and i'm here as always with my co-host chris file hello chris joe there we go okay we did that so uh, we were just jumping in ready to hate this movie chris is the mask white savior uh fictional construct who i wrote into my podcast almost a year ago to just give everybody else an entry point into this pot so that like straight audiences or like you know mask gay audiences who like you know put discreet put discreet on their uh on their sex apps and whatnot very straight acting very straight acting chris uh, will pull in that audience for me so that i am non-threatening to you that is that was the strategy that i made in in creating this podcast and i truly hope it works I love that between us, you call me the butch. (laughs) (laughs) Let's fight about it. Okay. um, No, we're talking about Stonewall, the 2015 Stonewall movie. Much maligned. It's, it's, I hesitated to do this because this movie was so thoroughly dunked on and sort of beat up and debunked and like salt scattered over the land on which it once (laughs) (laughs) stood that (laughs) i didn't feel a whole lot of 
urgency to talk about it. But it is we we're we're being a little bit more topical. Last week we talked about um, rendition because it's Reese Witherspoon and Meryl Streep who had united several years before they are now together again on screen on HBO on Big Little Lies season two, and with Pride Month happening all around you, look around, you'll see a corporate rainbow somewhere. Listen up, you'll hear Carly Rae Jepsen in the distance somewhere. That is true, that is true. This is the 50th anniversary this year, this June 28th, of the Stonewall uprising and riot. And unlike what certain RuPaul's Drag Race drag queens would have you believe, the carnage at Stonewall yeah. where, where people died. No no Derek. one died at Stonewall? No Derek Barry, no one died at Stonewall. No, this is the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, and to mark that occasion, the event known as World Pride is happening in New York City, in my own New York City this year. So, pretty big happy deal. Happy 50th Pride. Happy 50th t- uh, to Pride. 49th Pride, but... That is true. Well, we'll, t- we'll get to the postscripts of Stonewall in a second. So we thought, you know, to mark the occasion, yes, we will dunk once more on Roland Emmerich's Stonewall. To it's sort been of... a hot minute since we've had a real complete stinker, minus yeah. uh, 2003 miniseries, including The Human Stain. Yeah, The Human but, Stain like, was a pretty pretty stinkeroo. This is definitely one of the worst movies we've ever covered, if not the worst movie. It's pretty bad. So I, I, to mitigate the sort of schadenfreude of dunking on what, for all its faults, still is a queer movie by a queer filmmaker. Written by yeah, also Roland Emmerich a queer writer. is a gay director. Right. This is the thing. That. So uh you had the good idea to while you know, while we talk about this, we also wanted to mention because it is Pride Month and because it is the fiftieth anniversary of Stonewall. Uh some And couple... because this is a movie that does toxic things and all we can do in unpacking it is the best we can do is to offer up things that you can do to create positive things out in the queer community. Right. What Chris said. So Chris, why don't you tell us uh where we're throwing we want us we we're gonna donate some money to some worthy causes for LGBTQ youth, and we would encourage you all to do the same. So Chris, why don't you let us know where you are throwing your money to? Okay, so I uh, usually throw my money to, and I will be throwing it towards this uh, Pride season, and I encourage you to do so as well, uh, to a homegrown organization here in Columbus, Ohio, where I live. Um, I am talking about the Kaleidoscope Youth Center. Um, They are a very, very important organization here in central Ohio. They are actually the largest organization in Ohio, solely dedicated to serving and supporting LGBTQIA youth and their allies. Uh, Their vision is for youth across the spectrums of sexual orientation and gender identity to live healthy whole lives with acceptance and freedom from oppression. Uh, Not only do they provide a safe and affirming space for queer youth, uh, but they also work in tandem with the youth to develop programs and services that focus on uh, all different kinds of health, be that social, behavioral, holistic. They do leadership development, empowerment as well. Um, But uh, in addition to a large number of trans youth that they serve, they also serve quite a number of homeless youth as well. Um, Listeners, if you are not familiar, uh, one of the 
most like undiscussed things that affect specifically queer youth is the amount of homelessness. 40% of all homeless youth identify on the LGBTQ spectrum. Um, and they do a lot of organizations. Uh, they do a lot of support for queer homeless youth. Again, RuPaul's Drag Race fans, uh, Nina West, who is from Columbus, Ohio, she actually just created an endowment for this organization so that they can stay afloat. Um, they've never had an endowment before, but that does not mean that they don't need your support, be it financial or otherwise. So, yeah, the Kaleidoscope Youth Center, you can follow them on Twitter at KYC Ohio, and they're also at KYCOhio.org. But, Joseph, tell me about your organization. Well, I did want to say you sort of just stole my thunder a little bit. I was going to mention that if our listeners wanted to curry the favor of Drag Race fan favorite Miss Congeniality Nina West this would be the thing to do. And also to mention that Nina West and Chris File are officially the two most prominent queers in Columbus, Ohio. So I want You know to... what? I will take that. You should take that, honestly, because I do believe it's true. So, yes. <laughs> um, I uh, am going to be donating my money, and I call uh, anybody who wants to to do the same, as I always do, to the Ali Forney Center in New York City. Ali Forney Center, very uh, similar, similar mission statements, I feel like, is... They are their uh, mission to protect LGBTQ youths from the harms of homelessness and empower them with the tools needed to live independently. I, uh, everything that Chris said, citing the statistics about LGBTQ plus youth in uh, uh, homelessness in the United States remains true. It's a, a problem that does not get the, the focus of the straight world and this feels like something that we can uh help helping our own feels like something it's the the least that uh those of us with means can do so the california center speaking of endowments i will say my little favorite tidbit of that is that the california center was the recipient of an endowment from the late great b arthur when she died now on to the topic at hand which is the 2016 movie Stonewall. Chris, what what was your experience watching? So I'll give I'll give the the boilerplate stats. So Stonewall was directed as we mentioned before by Roland Emmerich, gay noted filmmaker. disaster filmmaker. Noted disaster <laughs> filmmaker and we'll get to that in a second because I want to talk about my little fleeting feelings of hope for this movie uh, and they were because it was disaster filmmaker Roland Emmerich. Written by John Robin Bates, acclaimed playwright and screenwriter for television. He had sort of the initial script for the television series Brothers and Sisters, if you watched that. He also wrote Other Desert Cities, among other plays. The film stars Jeremy Irvine, the war horse whisperer himself, Johnny Beauchamp, Jonathan Rhys Myers, Caleb Landry Jones, my beloved, my, nemesis. my beloved tweaker, Caleb Landry Jones, who in this movie, my nemesis, who in this movie plays a housing colony for lice, is what I will just describe him as. <laughs> uh, when has he not played a housing? But colony especially, for lice? especially here, like uh, truthfully, uh, Joey King is in this movie. Ron Perlman is is in this movie. Some other people are in this movie. It premiered on September 18th, 2015 at the Toronto International Film Festival. More on that in a second. It opened wide on September 25th, 2019 to tens of dollars um, <laughs> across the United States. It truly, truly sank like a stone wall. So, Chris, 
<laughs> what was your initial experience with the Emmerich? If we were going to discuss this movie as if it were at the Cannes Film Festival, had you seen the Emmerich? Where did you see it? Okay, every listener, pull up a chair. Um, I was among those who was like, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> when I saw this, the trailer for this uh, abomination of a movie. Um, that is not at all respectful to the legacy of Stonewall. Um, but, like, I, of course, was watching with, like, my knives out, like, as I was waiting for the responses from Tiff, where, of course, it died even for, like, the five critics that were still there, because it was on the final day of Hello. the festival. Like um, I said, more in a second. Joseph Reed. Um, I hope you have, like, tweets ready to be pulled up. Um, but, um, it, of course, I think probably played in like one theater here and i was like you know what i can't even give my money to hate watch this thing and then flash forward a few laters i have a podcast where i have to hate watch this movie um i had originally tried to watch it like for free from a library a few years ago and i got five minutes into it um ejected the dvd hurled it into the sea um no i gave it back um and (laughs) but uh Yes, that's my long way of saying, like, I was also not excited to watch this movie. And as I did, I slowly lost my mind. I felt my brain melting and sliding out of my toes. (laughs) Wow. That is evocative, is what I will say. This movie is just kind of, like, really unaware of how it is not serving the stonewall story and how it is ultimately offensive like just sometimes even a barrage of offenses and like dated cliches and all that so yes my experience was hating it it's you're right you're right in that like the myriad of ways it feels false and phony and Ridden with cliches and yet also seems to find new ways to sort of muck up gay representation in a movie like this. Like, yes, it's in addition to just having like actual movie problems. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like it has egregious movie problems aside from all of that. And again, this was not a movie made with ill intent. This was not a movie made although this is a movie that if you listen to Roland Emmerich interviewed about the movie at the time he certainly seemed to sort of eagerly go along with whatever studio notes were made about needing a you know facilitator character to get straight audiences into the movie he was very sort of upfront about the fact that that's what Jeremy Irvine's character Danny was in this movie was a very mask like he he mentioned specifically he's like he's a very masculine character it's like yeah no shit sherlock like uh um and is he though well co- first of all comparatively second of all like yeah. he's he's everything you i mean he's still gay but like he's still sucking dick in this movie fairly enthusiastically i will say from that beginning part where uh, he gets caught going down on his friend by his two school chums we're like he was doing his business down there for a while and good for him um, you know some of us are orally fixated listen however no, there is no shame in that game i 
will say my experience watching this movie, I was one of the very few people. I stayed till the very end of that Toronto Film Festival and Stonewall screened on the last possible day. I remember the only other person there that I knew was Alison Wilmore. So the two of us sort of like trudged dutifully home from this movie, sort of like in a uh, in a day as Allison ended up reviewing the film for BuzzFeed and she, her her one quote that's on the the splash page at Rotten Tomatoes I just want to read where she says Stonewall is a movie about a pivotal moment in LGBT history as filtered through the perspective of a fictional hunk of wonder bread named Danny who steps yeah. off the bus from Indiana and right into a central role on the Christopher Street scene and that is that is the case, and that is sort of the central problem of this movie. The funny thing about that screening of Stonewall was it was the last day, and the movie was set to open a week later. So I'm still up in Toronto with the festival, and at the festival, like, not only is it screening for critics in the morning, but then it's like playing to whoever wanted to buy a ticket at the festival. At that like evening, the big theater. But on that same wow. day, it was screening for critics in New York. So all of my friends who had been in Toronto and had left like midweek were now back in New York seeing the film and embargoed. So they all like emerged <laughs> from this and were tweeting these like not very cryptic cryptic tweets about like how terrible they thought it was and couldn't really specify and meanwhile Allison and I are like free to sort of go on at length and as much as we want to about it because like we're at the festival and the movie has opened and like you know every, you know the secret's out so it's like it's one of those odd little quirks about embargoes which I generally find fairly silly anyway they're these you know totally arbitrary things where like oh you're you're you know you're really not gonna let if everybody decided to break this embargo you really wouldn't let everybody back in and screen it next time like I don't think so anyway um it was a very odd situation and then because everybody in New York so had their knives out and were so vicious about it even while being uh, non-specific and keeping on the right side of the embargo. I didn't really feel a whole lot of need to pile on, but it's one of those screenings where about halfway through, sort of gradually, it built to this thing where like we all sort of realized we could laugh out loud at the parts we thought were laughable, and it was just it sort of started cascading from point to point to point. And by the time chaotic screenings are a blessing. They can be really, really fun. And this one, by the time Jeremy Irvine screams gay rights and then throws the brick, (laughs) we were howling, howling. He had some real real clunkers too when uh, allison speaking of allison's review uh she mentioned she had singled out the part where he said i'm too angry to love anything when oh, he's I letting when he's letting ray down gently not so gently what is the thing he, he says to ray that's another not to jump to the end but like he says i can't love you in this way he doesn't even say it angrily. He just sort of says it like as if it's a I'm self. I'm too angry to love anyone or something. Like, yeah, That's what like, he says there. But he first says, he's like. It's the total fuck boy, like, come off. Like, it's like you you say to somebody, you know, I'm really into you. I'd love to date them. And they just blow you off with like, 
But even before that, horrible. just the way he says, he's like, I can't love you. And like, it, like it's such a self-evident thing. Like, like you, you and I are a fox and a hound, you know what I mean? Like, like we could never love each other. It would never work. And it's just like, because you're so butch and he's so femme, like, I don't understand what exactly is this like great expanse of like... This is how we get boyfriend twins, by the way, where you where people get it in their head that they can only date somebody who matches up with them so perfectly. And it's just like, no, like fucking find somebody incredibly different than you. You'll maybe learn something about yourself anyway. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So the news. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So about the newsies. So he sh- it does feel <laughs> Should like. We... Can I sidetrack you for a second? Oh, do we still need to do a 60 second plot description 20 minutes into this podcast? Okay. We do. Christopher. Street. Christopher Street File. I'm going to name... That's going to be your nickname for... Uh, my name is Christopher Street File. <laughs> wow. Wow, Chris. I was talking about gay rights, and you had to bring up an actress. Wow. All right. So... Um, do not notice on Twitter all of this, like, growing mountain of actresses screaming gay rights. It's getting it's getting a little uncomfortable. Oh, it's it's inspirational. What are you talking about? I will not rest until... The entire cast of the remake of the women are all saying gay rights. In unison, in harmony. That's right. Reunite. The, what what film festival will reunite the cast of the women? Meg Ryan, Annette Bening, Deborah Messing, Jada Pinkett Deborah Smith. Messing would be totally into it. Jada Pinkett Smith, Eva Mendes. Do it. You know what? I want Candace Bergen. The ghost Get of her. Judy Garland herself. <laughs> oh my God. shows up on an episode of ghost hunters and says gay rights gay rights and says it to the face of renee zellweger as judy garland wow it's all happening all right while we're waiting for that to happen would you like to grace us with your presence and a 60 second plot description for this abomination of a film um you know let's let's just get all the toxic out there We'll, we'll do it. All right. Okay. Oh, wait. I got to get a timer. <laughs> I'm always the one who forgets that. Gay people can't drive. Gay people can't drive or tell time. time. Yeah, it's true. All right. Ready? Sure. And go. Okay. Um, Jeremy Irvine plays a encyclopedia of cliches named Danny. He is a football player in, like, uh, is it Indiana or Iowa? Indiana. One of them. Um, in the middle of nowhere, basically, and he's forced to move to New York City or chooses to move to New York City because he's caught giving a beach to his friend in a car and he is excommunicated from his family, even though he has a loving sister and like a, you know, like silently appreciative mother. Anyway, he shows up to New York. 30 seconds. Lands magically in Christopher Street, meets a whole gang of homeless gay youth um, led particularly by Ray, who immediately falls in love with him because Danny is what? A twink. And it's that kind of movie. Um, Anyway, um, they all like band together. They steal shit. They like support each other. Danny is supposed to go to Columbia, but he needs his scholarship papers signed by his parents. Um, Anyway, the Stonewall riots eventually happen. And Danny, magically, because he's a blonde twink, is the first one to like lead the crowd of like. Like supposedly like i don't know that's time all right um you omitted some stuff and that's fine that he throws literally the first brick he throws the first brick he gives As you know from seeing the trailer he and accepts the he accepts a tearful bj from uh, a a sad middle-aged man and then 
has some sort of prostitution encounter with J. Edgar Hoover, apparently, or something. Yeah, the like, fucking chief of police, because, oh, all gay oppressors are secretly gay. Which, the postscript sort of, like, you know, <laughs> is like, history backs us up on this one, where, like, all of a sudden it turned Ron out Ron Perlman, Perlman was gay, yeah. But, like, considering the creative license that this movie is taking, like, can we truly yeah. interpret that character that way? We could, we but, could, we like, could have totally fictionalized that character. We fictionalized enough other people. You like to call things a curiosity museum. This is like a curiosity museum of gay offenses. Like, literally, again, that, like, the whole illusion that there's, like, this ma, like, this secret, like, police society that's secretly gay but also like you know yeah sexually assaulting him essentially that like the the movie know. muddles itself in several ways in Look terms how of fun it is to be homeless well right like, it's well it it does a bad job of balancing the it you know the problems that these kids have with why they are vital, sort of strong, proud characters, right? And so... And like a supportive unit to each other that love each other. How hard is it to just do a chosen family storyline? I'm sorry, I don't think it's that hard. And this movie mucks it up eight ways from Sunday. We never get a chance to get to know any of the characters who are not Danny or Ray. We, you know, the Ray and Danny thing gets mucked up in this, like, this uh, sort of infatuation thing that like totally takes Ray's character out at the knees. I really like that actor, Johnny Beauchamp. He had been in. He's a good. He's a good performer. I kind of liked his performance, even though he says a lot of. He's asked to say a lot of stupid shit. I also he had think been it's in. Like... Wait, I just want to say really quickly before we move on. He had been in uh, a season of Penny Dreadful before this movie. Oh, um, playing a trans sort of high class courtesan to Reeve Carney's. Dorian Gray, and they have a really, really hot sex scene in that season. And it is really... I mean, Penny Dreadful's really good TV overall. But I really liked him on that show. And I wanted more for him in this movie. Definitely. Because, like, you could see the good version of this movie that, like, essentially gets rid of Danny, that maybe centers Ray, is, like, he would be the performer for that and be wonderful. I mean, I just think like you're right that you don't see anything else from the rest of this group. And I also think it's not that difficult to make this like to have this group that is like fun, loving, kikiing while they're going through horrible things without essentially making them the gay garbage pail kids. God damn it. That's a good way of putting that because holy shit, that's true. Like, it's just so... And, and the sets look... The, the street set for Christopher Street looks phony enough. It's not even a backlot. It looks like it was shot at Universal fucking studios. <laughs> yeah, have you it not been on that so ride cheap. before? The Stonewall ride? It's <laughs> The Stonewall ride. It's something. Well, they knew Roland Emmerich was directing it, so they figured it would be sort of a high octane. I wanted to you mention... You are the brick that is thrown at Stonewall. Ah! That's like the That's car the you're ride. riding. And you right. go through windows. You right. go through, like... Lease raids. So I I was cautiously optimistic when this project was first announced because knowing that Roland I was sort of in a very sort of like um poptimist place with Roland Emmerich where he's always been my favored 
schlocky action director. Like, I take him over Michael Day, Michael Day, Michael Bay, any day of the week. And I think it's mostly that I just love Independence Day. But Independence Day is so great. Independence Day is so cheesy, but so good. And I wanted this to be. Gay, gay Independence Day? Gay Independence sort of. I wanted this to have a sense of having the fight back you know, the fight back against straight society feel as endorphin-filled and, like, you know, triumphant and so popcorn-y as something like Independence Day did. I wanted to be able to sort of, like, cheer with these characters as they get their sort of well, well-earned moment of release and... Well, Independence Day is, like, a good example of what, like, the optimism could be for this movie when you hear that Roland Emmerich is doing it. Because, like, Independence Day really, at its core, is an ensemble movie. There's, like, a lot of moving parts going to it. It's very rousing. Like, there's, like, nameless oppressor, everybody banding together against a common goal. Like, other movies could do well, and we'll mention those later on, too, could do well with the ins and outs of the politics of the movie moment and the sort of social ins and outs of the moment and if like we weren't going to get that in a Roland Emmerich movie anyway but we still could have gotten characters we cared about fighting back in a uncomplicated sort of like resistance against a, a you know a social evil that was being Im- imposed upon them and something that like gay audiences primarily, but also, like, straight audiences, too, if they wanted to, but on our terms, like, could cheer along with us. And to me, that would have been really cool. And instead, Roland Emmerich decided that this was going to be his sort of personal passion project, and then we all realized that, like, he can't make one of those. Yeah. And meanwhile, John Robin Bates wrote this movie out of, like, a different decade. And John Robin Bates has been in the news recently. He sort of went fairly publicly against the Writers Guild during this whole uh, work conflict with the with the agents. And and if you gave me a hundred years, I could not explain to you what the ins and outs of this <laughs> Writers Guild conflict is with the agents. Writers it has were something very to mad do at him on Twitter for a day with something to do with packaging and whatever. But the point is, John Robin Bates sort of publicly made his case for being a scab and sounded really shitty doing it and sounded really sort of like privileged and uncaring about any kind of you know, working conditions and, and sort of sounded like a shit. And it reminded me that like, oh, right. Like brothers and sisters got sort of taken away from him and handed to Greg Berlanti because he was sort of being a shit reportedly with ABC and with the, with the the making of that show. So also he notedly did the slap Yes. I forgot about that. I knew there was something else on television. So he did contribute something Gay and campy and wonderful. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I I almost said he did contribute something good to gay culture, but... But, like, the writing of this movie feels so... I don't know what... Very dated. It's driving the scazy. It is. (laughs) I kept coming back to Newsies. I kept coming back to being like, if you at any point in this movie cut to Jeremy Irvine at the top, like, standing atop a, a, you know stoop or something holding a stack of newspapers aloft 
I would not have felt at all jarred by the, that site. It felt very, I don't know. Or, like, that at any point they were going to, like, break into song or something. I mean, they sort of did, but, like, in, like, it felt like a musical was going to break out at any time. It does feel like a movie that could have existed not even in 1969, but in, like, the 50s in the way that it's just, like, structured, very, like, this dated sentimentality to it. It's, it's like, very passe, which, of course, we as gay people resent deeply, um, aside from it being offensive. I just, yeah. I, I do wonder... I, don't, I will make no illusions of the fact that, like, we can be very fucking difficult to please and like we should probably own that that we find ways to find dissatisfaction with projects that are pitched to us because i think sometimes we don't trust that kind of thing we're so used to finding our culture in the cultures in the sort of like in the trash of other people's culture do you know what i mean we're so used to sort of idolizing these cast aside actresses or you know, well, yes, we make the decision on our and own. Trash we do and... not want someone selling something to us. Right. And I think because of that, we sometimes, it sometimes feels like there's no pleasing us. And I am not unsympathetic to creators and to artists who might feel that way. I think nobody involved with Stonewall has a leg to stand on when it comes to that. But no, like, all of the decisions that they make in like crafting this thing to be what it is are very suspect. Yes. We should talk a little bit about, like, let's pivot a little bit to the Oscar conversation. I do yes. think... Yeah, why did, this Emmerich, have, why did this have buzz? This definitely killed it, I think, for Roland Emmerich in any way that he was starting to build that. Do you remember Anonymous? I didn't see it, but movie. yes. I think, and I think Anonymous was one of those things where people were like, you know what's not a bad movie for being sort of like ahistorical and trashy is Anonymous. Well, and they had an actual campaign for that movie, too. And like people were like, oh, well, maybe he's someone... Like, he makes this step away from the type of disaster movies that he was known for that we don't take that seriously and like delivered a watchable, well-crafted movie. I mean, and it got an Oscar nomination. So like the campaign paid off, even if it was like a costume drama that typically gets a costume design nomination. Right. But it, it did open the conversation for us to look at Stonewall in this way because it's like, Oh, well maybe this is his serious drama before we kind of started seeing Yes. Not only the movie itself, but, like, what its take was going to be. Well, have I ever told you my Joel Schumacher theory? No, but lay it on me. Joel Schumacher, Joel Schumacher also noted gay studio director. Gay studio director. This isn't exactly... This theory doesn't really have anything to do with being gay, but more about being sort of a... Um, sort of... No, I don't want to say schlocky filmmaker, because he's not a schlocky filmmaker, but, like... Although he sometimes can be. But he's sort of a middle-of-the-road director who directs movies that that people remember. Sometimes for being good, sometimes for being bad. But I feel like my theory was always that like one of these times, Joel Schumacher is going to like accidentally, or like semi-accidentally, like hit on something big and end up with an Oscar nomination because something that he directs is going to either do really well or be like 
a leap forward from what he had done before. And people are going to be sort of like certain corners of like, you know, cinephiles or whatever. We're going to sort of like rend their garments because Joel Schumacher had been so, I mean, he was the guy who directed Batman and Robin, right? He was the guy who directed eight mm-hmm. millimeter, right? Wasn't that yes. him? Yeah. So like yes. a bunch of like really bad movies and he's made a lot of really good movies too, but I'm like, and he's, but he's also somebody who's made a lot of money over a lot of years for, the Hollywood establishment and they'll end up rewarding him. I think that theory, I also held that for a while for Michael Bay, that if Michael Bay had ever decided to make something with a subject matter that flattered Oscar voters, that they would go for it and release Pearl Harbor in November instead of the summer. And you might have a different story. Pearl Harbor absolutely had Oscar buzz. Um, It actually got, couple nominations few nominations yes yes it got multiple nominations nothing in the major categories but still but i was thinking of like directors like adrian line or now i'm going through the like the the years of oscar directors to see other directors who might like fit that i mean if you look recently you look at like um adam mckay or peter well peter peter farrelly right but peter farrelly ends up winning best picture but if peter peter farrelly is like exactly what i'm talking about where it's just like Mm -hmm. all because then all of a sudden you can ride this like who knew that he had this movie in him we thought his movies were only these you know sort of pot boiler kind of a thing taylor hackford for ray i think is a good example of that yeah or do you know what i'm talking about so like i and i always felt like roland emmerich had that potential in him he still somewhat has that potential Mm. even though i think stonewall has changed those things yeah this year there is midway coming out it opens in i believe november it'll be like the fall war epic i just think there's some possibility there i mean there's definitely some possibility there but i do feel like i mean maybe nobody remembers stonewall as as acutely as we remember stonewall but um I think it I think it really knocked him down a good bit. I always by the way Edward's Wick was another example of that. Although Edward's Wick is a little bit different and like Edward's Wick has always been sort of hovering around Oscar Edward's conversations. Could still make a movie to get nominated and win. Yes. It totally makes sense. But anyway, so I always thought that Emmerich had that potential in him. And I think after Anonymous, I think you're right, there was the sense of like, well, it's a, you know, the the personal nature of the project could work for him. The idea that, like, I have made these big sort of hyper-masculine, hyper-heterosexual action dramas, blockbusters for all of these years. And now I am going to focus my talents on something that affects the community that I call myself part of. And... People could sort of like write the narrative of that Oscar campaign, you know, it's, from their from like, their homes. You know what I mean? From their well, from their and when we're talking computers. about this movie, we're not talking about like Oscar predictions in the thick of Oscar season. We're talking no, we're about, talking about like year ahead stuff. Yeah, this is like a perfect example of like year ahead or like year ahead. Who knows? Spring predictions, right? right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like uh, again to the anonymous thing, it's like. Seldom is an Oscar narrative that's isolated to that one film or performance or year. Like Oscar narratives right. are years in the making, friends. Right. Especially and especially as you said, when you're looking at a year ahead and everything feels like a possibility, or at least like you can write, you can you can graft on 
possibility onto a lot of different things. And this was definitely one of them. And I think because also they had the John Robin Bates factor who, you know, he's a playwright. He's, you know, he's was had this success. around or like shortly after other desert city, other desert cities. I think it was shortly after other desert cities. Yes. Which was a hit and it had like stars in it, or at least like names like Stockard Channing. Yeah. Oh yeah, Stocker Channing was in it. Yeah. When I saw it, it was Rachel Griffiths, although she had replaced um, Elizabeth Marvel. Who was the male lead? I'm trying to remember. Isn't it like Stacey Keach? Yes, who was great, who was actually really great in it. And, but um, it was like a soapy, sentimental show. I think it had even been optioned for a movie, but I'm not positive on that, and it just never happened. But like... Yeah. I don't... It didn't... Did it win the Tony... No, I don't believe it did. But it was like the buzzy show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so certainly it had enough. And he had like he had written the play The Substance of Fire, which I believe was made into a movie at some point. Not a super successful movie, but like definitely a movie. And has worked with like, you know, some of the great actors and stuff like that. So then there there's was... also Jeremy Irvine as well, who right while star like, of a we... best picture nominee, star of a best picture nominee, his star was on the rise, not yet of star of a masterpiece. Mamma Mia, here we go again. Right, but <laughs> that's definitely something like his face being plastered on the Warhorse poster. Like if that movie served that character more, like there could have maybe been a narrative. But like again. This is like the multiple narrative type of thing. So it's like you could have even thought of Jeremy Irvine at the time. Right. Oh, you know who won the Tony for Other Desert Cities was Judith Light, of course. Oh, That was her yes. first of two consecutive Tonys. Judith Light. Love her. I Light. Yes. So I think, but also the casting of Jeremy Irvine also was a big red flag because... You had, I think people were naturally concerned about getting a story like Stonewall right. And I think the fact that Jeremy Irvine is was the only real name, Caleb Landry Jones sort of a little bit, but like Jeremy Irvine was like clearly the sort of like shining star of this cast. And I think already people were worried that we were going to be front-loading this movie with this impossibly sort of like could not have cast a more standard, although he is British, but like he looks like the picture of the American Midwest, put him in a white t-shirt and jeans. And it's just like a John Cougar Mellencamp video. Right. And you could have even like passed it off if he was all of these things and gay, but he's also straight Right. So it's like you really can't get away with anything. And I mean the conversation about who gets to act in what roles and who gets to play what parts is one I don't relish getting into right now. No. Mostly because I fall on some unpopular sides of things, but certainly with this particular story that has become such a, you know, it's cuz it's Stonewall isn't only a like historical event. It's also part of the for lack of a better word, mythology of gay life in America. Whereas what happened happened, but it's also has attained this point of 
pride and prominence in the community, which is why I want like the the throwing the first brick thing is so mystifying to me and really feels like the best evidence that both John Robin Bates and Roland Emmerich were so completely out of touch, which is the whole mythos of who threw the first brick. Did Marsha P. Johnson throw the first brick? Did, you know, another black trans drag queen, whoever, throw the first brick? And the idea that that has become such a part of the Stonewall mythology means that if you put that brick, an actual brick, which we get like the fucking close-up of in the movie, into the hands of this fictional audience, straight audience surrogate, white mask character, and essentially like hand that point of prominence and pride over to this character, feels very intentional in a way I don't mm-hmm. think the filmmakers intended, but like I don't know how the audience is supposed to read that in any other way. Because it's it doesn't literally... necessarily feel intentional because like nothing feels intentional right. about this movie. Like all of the things that are offensive about it feel like accidental. Like right. they're just showing their ass basically. But it's like you can't have known how important that idea of throwing the first brick is to the community, especially the sort of the younger community who is getting these stories and this mythos sort of like passed down mm-hmm. to them. You can't know the importance of that piece of the puzzle and, and still give that, that action to this character because it really, it's just a slap in the face. And there's two big nuances to this too, because the movie is essentially representative of the type of whitewashing of gay history that happens particularly around the Stonewall narrative um, of like essentially centering white twinks um, towards like, that's what our history is. But it's also like, it's not just that he throws the brick. It's like the crowd in the movie is angry, but it's like, what are we going to do? We're just standing here angry. And he's like, riling up the crowd right and he's like leading them and inciting them to violence which makes no sense on a story level and is like offensive on a historical one yes yes well it's because he doesn't it's not just like violence is happening and he happens to throw a brick he is literally inciting the crowd how much time do you think passes from the time he shows up in new york city to the first night of stonewall I think the movie sets it as that it's a matter of days. Right, right. And in this matter of days, Danny goes from being, like, sheltered to reluctantly accepting of this group to sort of falling into this weird little relationship with the Jonathan Reedus Myers character who tries to sort of, like, radicalize him politically, but he's turned off by the political thing because he's not going to be able to be an astronaut and he's also turned off by Jonathan Rhys Myers, who it turns out, like, is essentially, like, finding a new boy every other day to sort of, like, run this same game on. And so he has this disagreement about, like, protesting tactics with Jonathan Rhys Myers, which ends up being, like, a prime mover for the whole fucking brick thing, because it really does seem like he throws the brick to, like, sh- you know, shove it to to Jonathan Rhys Myers in some way. And also, but like his character's written so like inconsistently and without any kind of of regard for 
a narrative progress where there's one scene where he's having sort of this disagreement slash argument with Jonathan Rhys Myers, who is basically like, oh, you're just, you're going to go and like dress and drag with all your little like street friends and you're going to go wear a dress. And uh, Danny sort of throws back that like, it takes more balls to wear a dress than a suit and tie. And then literally his next line he sort of downshifts into bemoaning his lack of opportunities, his lack of career opportunities because he's gay. And he's like, what am I just supposed to be a decorator or a florist? And it's like, did you not just make the case for faggots and dresses? Like, I don't understand <laughs> where you're coming from. And like, if that were a character point that like, he didn't know shit about shit and he didn't know what he wants. And he's super like just recently out of the closet and confused. That would be one thing. But, like, this is a guy who's supposedly going to be leading your revolution in a couple nights. Like, it's so weird. It's so weird. It is, I mean, like, you pointed it out correctly at the beginning. This is Studio Notes, the movie. Yeah. And again, like, Emmerich it, has essentially like, said that outright. Yeah. It's just, like, withered into offensive, like, incoherent logic madness. Yeah. And then there's dirty Caleb Landry Jones. Who <laughs> he makes me laugh. He's every line is a slur. Every and I don't mean like a like a, you know, racial slur or whatever. It's like is slurred. It's literal mushmouth. It's literally Caleb just Landry like Jones. It's his his default mode is mushmouth and or crazy. His spine is made of like gack, like Nickelodeon gack where he's not, unable to like stand straight like he's just sort of just like limp limbed sort of like oozing around corners and stuff like that he's wearing some sort of full body shawl at all times it's but it's not necessarily it does not code to me as gay it codes to me as opium addict like yeah you know what i mean like he's got a morphine problem like something like like Woodstock reject, right, like, right, right. Like it doesn't come across to me as gay at all. And I'm his kind of, okay. of gay in this movie is funny hats. Yeah, he's the blossom of Stonewall. That's true. Yeah. Um, I tried to make a, a a reference to blossom hats to somebody recently, and they didn't get it. And I felt one million years old. Oh my god. Right? You would think that at least that from Blossom would have endured the hats. But no. They didn't. I know. The world has gotten so terribly, terribly old. To quote an actually good (laughs) movie about the gay experience in America. We, okay, so let's get on that. Because, like, this Oscar year was also, like, representative of some, like, bad queer representation. Notedly, the Danish girl. Right. Um, But this was also the year of Carol. It was the year of Carol. That was gay rights personified. That was gay rights personified. That was cruising personified. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Because she is That was also, speaking of hats, a good hat movie. I like the hat. Yeah. She likes the hat. What can we say? Those gloves were a plan. She knew what she was fucking doing. <laughs> this is not a Carol podcast. Um, could be, though. However, it, it fucking could be, man. That's our, Patre- you know That's our fucking Patreon. Anyway, this is a terrible movie about what queer activism looks like. I think we should, again, to palate cleanse and to promote the spirit of pride, 
Joe, what? Are, let's name some good movies about queer activism. Yeah, I sort of I, I centered on the idea of activism, not necessarily. So my first one is about Stonewall specifically, but they're not all about that. But if you want a better telling of the Stonewall story, there's a documentary from 2010 called Stonewall Uprising. It was directed by Kate Davis and David Heilbronner, I want to say is how we pronounce that name. It is thorough and it's illuminating and it will get your blood boiling and it will also give you, again, that sort of feeling of pride and purpose that I think the best, that's the best that we got out of what happened at Stonewall was this idea that we could find purpose in banding together and, you know, pushing back against what was happening. So Stonewall Uprising, you can find streaming on... It's on the PBS website. It is part of the series American Experience. So if you go searching for Stonewall Uprising uh, under American Experience on PBS, you should be able to watch it there. You can also watch it on Canopy, which is the streaming service for people with library cards. Again, I famously don't know how to read, but if I did and had a library card, I could watch Stonewall Uprising on Canopy, and I would. Chris... Throw one at us. What should we watch instead of Stonewall? I would suggest you watch The Death and Life of Martha Peach Johnson. It is available on Netflix. Um, it is a documentary surrounding the uh, suspicious death of queer legend um, and uh, trans icon, a drag icon, Marsha Peach Johnson, who was present at the Stonewall riots. Um, another thing about Roland Emmerich Stonewall that is offensive is Marsha P. Johnson is essentially not there. She's a character and gets like arrested and then like runs off to a leather bar. Anyway, it's weird. Um, Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson is really, I think, it's not perfect because parts of it try to turn this into another piece of true crime media. But mm. if you can ignore those parts, it's a really kind of essential document Um for how trans people and trans people of color have been systematically removed from the gay rights narrative. Um, it deals a lot with queer homelessness as well. Um, everybody should definitely watch it. Good. Yes. So my other one, well, I have a couple others. One of them is BPM Beats Per Minute, the 2017 French film directed by Robin Campillo. Uh, it was in competition at the Cannes Film Festival. It was a foreign language film? Yes, it was a foreign submission, but it was like yeah. the noted big one that didn't make the bake-off list. Yeah, it's such a bummer. being a masterpiece. It's such a good movie. It's about the ACT UP movement. ACT UP being um, Larry Kramer's uh, fight against AIDS, fight the system against AIDS organization that initiate, uh, initiated in the United States in New York and San Francisco. But uh, this follows the ACT UP movement in Paris, in France, in the early 1990s. It is a fantastic movie about activism. It's a fantastic movie about community as this sort of like living, breathing thing and how it can, you know... It can be a place where ideas sort of come into clash with one another, even under the umbrella of shared purpose, but is also a th a, a thing, an organism, uh, something that will be there as a 
as a community, there's a, there's a scene at the end, because of course, uh, one of the main characters in this movie uh, has HIV, has AIDS, and a lot of the movie sort of progresses as you imagine a story of a character with AIDS would in the early 1990s. And by the end of this movie, there is a act of community that happens in the apartment of the, the, uh, of this guy and his boyfriend have been sharing. That is, not to get too specific about it, but it is so moving and so incredibly sort of says something without actually like verbalizing it about the gay experience and the gay community at its at its best at its most ideal that really moves me and it's a fantastic movie and if you haven't seen it check it out it is on hulu you will not be sorry it's a great movie um i my next recommendation is also centers around act up it also centers around tag and it is another documentary it is how to survive a plague um also directed by the same director as Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson, um, David France. Um, this documentary uses a lot of archival footage uh, during the AIDS epidemic where you can see the ACT UP um, uh, demonstrations and riots and like like how they worked as an organization. Um, it's a, also an incredibly moving movie. Um, especially the youths need to know their history and watch How to Survive a Plague. All right, one more I'm going to throw at you is the 1992 HBO TV movie And the Band Played On, which was directed by Roger Spottiswood and starred everybody. It was a huge like all-star cast. Matthew Modine plays the main character who is a uh he works for the CDC. He's an epidemiologist at the CDC and this movie is about sort of the discovery of HIV AIDS as a uh, as an out, you know, an emerging outbreak and, and trying to figure out what this disease is and how best to combat it. And it crosses into activism and sort of the, the gay community stuff in very interesting ways, in ways that are sort of, you know, thorny and prickly and, and not very easily ironed out. This was an incredibly sort of like frightened community and with, with very good reason and was not getting any help, obviously, by the government. And so trying to find ways to like <laughs> to deal with the medical questions of how do we isolate this disease and figure out what it does and what's going on and keep everybody safe with this sense that this was a community under siege is really, really interesting to watch it play out. Alan Alda's in this movie, Ian McKellen, Lily Tomlin, Angelica Houston, Steve Martin, Richard Gere, um, like I said, everybody. Richard Jenkins is in this movie. B.D. Wong is really, really good in this movie. Um, it's highly recommended. You can watch that. It was, as I said, it was an HBO TV movie in 1992. It is on HBO Go and HBO Now if you want to check it out. Fabulous. Um, and I guess my final recommendation um, is the 2014 British film Pride. Um, it is a wonderful movie. Um, it's the true story of a group called Lesbians and Gays Support the Miners during the British Miners' Strike. Support the they Miners! Support the Miners! Um, where are my lesbians? Ah! Um, <laughs> I love this movie uh, so much. It, uh, you mentioned BPM and like kind of hinted at how... Um, it does show like infighting within a group that all essentially has the same goal. Um, I think pride also does that very well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and the band played on, you said, has everybody. Pride has British everybody. Yeah. There is Bill Nye, Imelda Staunton, Hot Priest Andrew Scott, uh, Dominic West. It's just a really lovely... We've mentioned uh, more heavier movies. If you are looking for lighter fare, Pride is wonderful. Yeah. Um, definitely see that. Yes. Um, I wanted to get into, before we sort of start to wrap things up... The postscripts in this movie made me want to throw things. It because was <laughs> the postscripts presented like no fewer than like seven movies I would have rather watched than this. Where like it that's a huge pet peeve of mine are movies where the postscripts suggest a far more interesting movie than what you've just watched. This and one they either say that the postscript themselves are suspect or the representation we have seen of that character prior right. is suspect. So it- I want to run down the list of them because I sort of jotted them down. The first postscript mentions that the, because the movie ends on the very first, uh, what was called then the Gay Liberation March, which ended up being the very first Pride Parade. And, which, by the way, the, the moment where Wonderbread himself walks past his like smiling sister and mother who are like beaming from the sidelines of this parade, I was just. I don't need everything to be hardship. I don't need everything to be fucking misery. But the idea that just this fucking gleaming white twink who is now going to school at Columbia and doesn't even like live down in, uh, you know, whatever, Hooverville with the rest of these guys, like, uh, it made me so mad. Anyway, so this... First Gay Liberation March, as I said, 1970, started with a few hundred marchers, but swelled to more than 10,000. Hey, maybe that would have been a cool scene to watch. Yeah. To watch this meager little parade sort of gather steam. There's a scene. Did you ever see uh, the Laramie Project uh, on yes. HBO, speaking of HBO yes, movies? Yes, absolutely. There's the, the scene in the Laramie Project where Bill Irwin plays this guy, who this gay man in Laramie, who talked about how he lived in this apartment along the parade route and he had windows on sort of adjacent streets and he watched the parade come up one way. And then when it came down the other, it had like tripled in size. And I mean, just just thinking about that scene sort of like gets me because like, it's, it's such a well done scene and like that kind of thing might've been. And also maybe this and Stonewall might've been a good opportunity for inclusivity perhaps, but no, or even just like the emotional like yes! climax of the movie because it's not even a Stonewall riots; it's his white twinkness going home and like seeing the dude he was blowing. And, I like, can't believe they gave him that much. Mother. Brutal, brutal. Okay, postscript number two was a second little thing about like how every year after that there was another thing, and I sort of my, in my notes I just wrote today they call them pride parades because it reminded me <laughs> very very much of the uh, imitation game postscript about computers. Today we call them floats. Right. <laughs> today we call them excuses to do poppers in the daytime. Um, Alan Cumming shows up and like puts an <laughs> affectionate hand on the shoulder of Jeremy Irvine and says, you know, one day corporations will be here. <laughs> yes. And hands him a flyer to Club Cumming. Yes. Third postscript is about Marsha P. Johnson. Again, watch the documentary that Chris told you to watch for more information about that wonderful Wonderful legend of, legend of a of a person, yes. Uh, fourth one is about Bob Kohler, who is one of the characters. He's sort of the the guy who 
observes all the goings on on Christopher Street and ends up having this like really sort of handsome and together husband. That was an odd little moment in the movie too, where it's just like, gay people can have functional relationships. What is what a what a lesson I have learned. Um, they mentioned the Gay Liberation Front with him. Then they had a postscript about the cop. Moving on, they had a postscript about the Ron Perlman character, which is like wild as hell. That like this guy like fled the Stonewall riot, went on the run, and like returned as a gay activist who like ended up. Um, the way they, they mention it in the postscript, they say one of the most amazing makeovers in criminal history, which fully made me imagine him like Hellboy at, at, showing up as Hellboy. No, like, I was thinking just like, like he's at the salon and just getting it's like the, the Wizard of Oz where it's just like snip, snip here. Da, 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 da. And then he like comes back and now he's a gay activist. And like that whole thing. Even in the postscript, I was like, what are you saying? And like, Can maybe we go that. Back that there was a postscript for the fucking cop for this movie. Yeah. And it was like, it, it just asserts that he is all always was like raiding the gay bars because of the mob. Yeah, I like that, that the movie had to like carry, had to carry the water for the cops. That's a good point. I sort of blew past that. Um, there are, there are, there are two postscripts for the Mattachine Society, which I was sort of happy for because the movie kind of shits on the Mattachine Society and sort of paints them as ineffectual, like losers, essentially. And like, this is an organization that had done very good work. The last one was the one that really like fucking flipped me out, which was the Stonewall riot, uh, lasted into the night that first night and then went on for four more nights. And I was just like, you motherfuckers, that we got so little of the actual freaking Stonewall riot that we, you're just going to throw this into a postscript that just like, yeah, there were four more of them. Like, maybe we could have crafted a story around what that means, what that meant for the community, what, you know, strategy and tactics went into the idea of keeping it going. Again, watch Stonewall Uprising. You get a lot more about that. You really get a sense of what was being done like you know the the strategies the you know what the cops were trying to do to combat it and what the gay activists were trying to do to combat that and yada 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 but like you know what call me a jerk but i was half expecting a postscript that was like danny would grow up one day and direct an alien picture oh my god bill smith and jeff goldblum (laughs) and he would be rich like and we never mentioned the Godzilla movie again. Yeah. Brutal. Brutal, brutal, brutal. Is there anything else? Oh, there was one other thing. Sorry, is there anything else you wanted to mention? And then I'll bring up the uh, um, the Cinema for Peace Awards. <laughs> um... Uh no, I think I think we have scorched the earth with this movie enough. Um well, we'll see what happens with Midway. I can't Good stress enough Emmerich. how much this movie got fucking torched immediately as soon as people saw it. Like it was Rightfully so. It's almost makes makes it seem it does make it seem very silly to be talking about this movie in the context of had Oscar buzz because like that like burned the roots out of that movie and like there was no memory practically of that movie ever having well and then when it goes on to make a hundred thousand dollars the the per screen average for its first weekend in limited release but again limited release is usually when you get your per screen average up and the per screen average it opened to eight hundred and seventy one dollars 
per scream yikes on its opening weekend i guess my other note because like i'm the person that always pays attention to distributors this was a roadside attractions Mm, which like at the time was also an indicator it's not like you know universal released this like if it's it's a prestige house like they ended up like i think their best if I'm remembering correctly, like their best bet that year was Mr. Holmes, a movie we should totally no. talk about. Um, yes. Also directed by a gay man, Bill Condon. Yeah. Um, Starring a gay man, Ian McKellen. So it's got one up on Stonewall there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like there's, there was a lot of things. It eventually, like you could see the tide turning before anybody saw the movie, but like, this was like, one of those hilarious long game. We actually had hopes for this movie at one point predictions. Yeah. So my little miscellanea for this movie is this movie, as you can imagine, did not, it didn't get any Razzie nominations. I will say that, which is kind of surprising. It makes me feel like the Razzie voters just don't pay attention to gay shit because like, no, they don't because they're just a bunch of, the Razzies are about hating women. Right. Right. Exactly. So, um, it was, I will say, it was nominated for by the Gay and Lesbian Entertainment Critics Association, which I am a part of and you are a part of. Um, campy flick of the year, which, okay. Um, I did not vote that year, so you can't blame Another me for that. Neither did I. Um, but the one thing that I wanted to mention was it was nominated for Most Valuable Movie of the Year by something called the Cinema for Peace Award, which... Hold on a second, because I want to number how many nominees in this category. Most Valuable Movie of the Year. 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 15 movies nominated for Most Valuable Movie of the Year 2015. A lot of these movies were... A lot of these movies were uh, Oscar nominees that year. I'm trying to think... If I want to make you guess them, but I don't think I think that would. Probably I'm looking go on at them forever. right now, so okay. I couldn't guess them. The fact that one of them is a tale of love and darkness, the Natalie Portman directed movie that nobody saw, is very funny to me. <laughs> um, Bridge of Spies. You mentioned the winner for most valuable movie. Well, of wait, the let's year let's from... let's get oh, to okay. that. Nominees: Bridge of Spies, Carol, Mustang, which is really good, Son of Saul spotlight so like stonewall really does stick out like a sore thumb the 33 which is the movie about the chilean uh miners yes yes the big short oscar nominee the club the pablo lorraine movie the club about the sexual abuse sexual abuse in the priesthood yeah yes um the danish girl oscar nominee trumbo unfortunate oscar nominee woman in gold which like Helen Mirren, that remote didn't that get like perfect? This had Oscar buzz, maybe. Yes, did that get like a SAG nomination or something? For uh, Helen Mirren had a pretty big campaign. I think she did get one. Like what the? Hold fuck? on, I want to look this up. Yes, I'm pulling it up too. She did. She got an act. <laughs> That's Le- because that actress was in a leading of... role, Helen Mirren, the woman in gold. That was one of Weinstein Co.'s uh, big campaigns that year. I she don't... was a double nominee at the SAG Awards for Trumbo and Woman in Gold and then got completely shut out at the Oscars. Uh, one of the nominees <laughs> is a movie I love as a sort of popcorn-y kind of a movie. I get why it's flawed, but like some people really hated it. I kind of loved it. It's Truth, the James Truth Vanderbilt movie. Truth is the movie, best kind of trash. Where like, Kate Blanchett plays is... Mary Mapes, the, uh, the CBS news rep- uh, producer who got in trouble for the Dan Rather situation 
Um, Kate Blanchett monologues her ass off in that movie great. in the way that only Kate Blanchett she's can so do. She's so watchable. It's so it's I watch it's it, the classiest trash. We should totally do that movie. You know what I mentioned? How I mentioned sometimes at, at, at TIFF how you have to go to see a non IMAX movie in the IMAX theater and it's such a huge like pain I in saw Ladybird. Like I saw the Danish Girl this same year. Um, from like the third row, it was a really bad experience watching the Danish girl, but I got to watch truth on the IMAX theater and I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. That was super fun. But yeah, you mentioned the winner was Beast of No Nation, Beast of No Nation, historical curiosity, Beast of No Nation, the Netflix movie that didn't do what, uh, Roma ended up doing. So we will always remember your sacrifice, Beast of No Nation. You did not die in vain. I think that's it. All right. Why don't you tell the kids what the IMDb game is before we play it? The IMDb game. We always end our episodes challenging each other to name the top four titles listed as known for under any famous actor or actress on IMDb. Uh, the caveats being we will mention if there is voiceover work or television. We get two wrong guesses and then we will get the year as a hint. And after that is just kind of a free for all of hints if we still can't get it. Uh, we also try to avoid Marvel and Harry Potter because those just go to the top and it's boring. And nobody wants to guess what four movies Scarlett Johansson has from Marvel on there. Although now I kind of do, but we'll, we'll do that at another time. Fantastic. All right. I've got one for you. You want to guess it? Uh, yes, absolutely. Gimme. Okay. So John Robin Bates, we mentioned, wrote Stonewall. He also created although did not get a chance to hold on to it for very long, the ABC series Brothers and Sisters, which I watched every episode of. Love that Matthew Reese as the gay brother. Um, but I'm not going to give you Matthew Reese. I'm going to give you the matriarch of that TV show who won an Emmy for that very Sally show. Field. Miss Sally Field. You like me right now. You really like me. I do. Um, okay, Sally Field, Steel Magnolias. Yes. Forrest Gump. Yes. Mrs. Doubtfire. No, one star. Ah. Mm. Now I feel thrown. I had a good run there. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Doubtfire, by the way, like the most shown on cable movie of all time, which is wild that it wouldn't make the IMDb algorithm. Again, the IMDb algorithm is what? Inscrutable. So... There has to be an Oscar nomination or an Oscar win on there, but like I feel like her Oscar win movies are sadly like lost to time. I actually have never seen Normal Ray. I maybe should try to Neither get on have that. I. If it's available anywhere, um, I gotta like wait for it on TNT or something. Yeah. Uh, just by this logic, I'm gonna say Lincoln. Yes. Ugh. That now I just really have nowhere to go. See, I like the Sally Field movies that nobody knows. Did you? I know Punchline is not there, but do you like Punchline? I've never seen Punchline. Okay. Um, and I oh, sort of resent I, Punchline because Punchline is one half of an incredibly specious line of argument that people have about sexism in Hollywood. That like sexism in Hollywood is a real thing. But the fact that Tom Hanks and Sally Field played a couple in Punchline and Mother and Son in Forrest Gump is not the right argument because Sally Field 
didn't play the mother to Tom Hanks's Forrest Gump. She was mother to the other actor who played kid Forrest Gump, and they olded her the fuck up when she had to play Forrest as an adult's mother. So it's, it's not the same bad thing. logic. They're not lovers in Punchline. Whatever. I've never seen Punchline, but you know what I'm. You know what I'm talking about when people right, right, mention right. That like whole there's thing. a flirtation there. I, okay. Uh, I'm mad that I can even remember this. But I'm just going to say, for the sake of superhero movies, I'm going to guess that the amazing Spider-Man is there. No. Oh, no. It is. Oh, not. thank God. No, none I'm, of the Spider-Mans. I feel like that's my new Gosford Park. I've guessed that for more than one person. <laughs> I always forget that she's in that. That's another one of those specious arguments. The fucking Marissa Tomei Aunt May thing. I'm not going to go into it. I'm just going to say... Think smarten up, people trying to make your little arguments. They're real. There's there's Just enough there's enough real fucking man. sexism in Hollywood to go around. Trust me. Yes. All right. Uh, I got two wrong guesses, right? All right. Oh, so you're gonna get a year. The year is 1977. Oh, is it? Um, uh, it's so late 70s. Is that? It's got to be late 70s. Smokey and the Bandit. Smokey and the Bandit. 1977. Yeah. And it... Which means, among other things that were not there, Not Without My Daughter was not there, no um, no Hello, Places in the Heart, Doris? no uh, Norma Ray, as we mentioned, no Hello, My Name is Doris, no... Um, no TV. What no TV, saying? which is wild because she was in ER and I want to say won some Emmys there. Won an Emmy for Brothers and Sisters. Was in that show where she was on the Supreme Court. Um, no Soap Dish, which I know will upset a lot of people. Yeah. She's fucking amazing in Soap Dish. <laughs> so, however, justice for Mrs. Doubtfire, that psychotic movie, Mrs. Doubtfire. I love Mrs. Doubtfire. You know I do. Daniel. Daniel. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The whole time, the whole time, you would, the whole time. She's the great in that time, movie. The whole time, the She whole plays time. the most, like, that is a good movie, and that's a pretty well-written movie, but that movie does not have any room for you to feel any kind of sympathy for her, and she manages to make that woman seem real and, like, good for her, because mm. we are not supposed to like that character. We, yeah, yeah. All right, Joseph. I'm going cheesy with this one. Would you, for Stonewall, your IMDb game, do you want to be a stone or a wall? Oh, you stupid, stupid person. Um, <laughs> I'll be a wall. Why not? I'll you want to be a wall. Okay. Had you chose stone, you would have gotten Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> but because you chose wall, you are getting wallless Sean. Yeah, I was like, wait. All right. I see it. I see it. Uh, Wallace Shawn, who used to live, or maybe still does live, in the building I used to live in, in Hell's Kitchen. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. This doesn't give me an uh, unfair advantage or anything. Okay, I imagine that the Princess Bride would have to be one of these. The Princess Bride is one of them. Any television? There is no television. Oh, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention, one of them is a voice. Huh. Toy Story. No, no Toy Story. Um. So he is really underrated for his voice work in Toy Story. He's funny. 
I mean, I have to guess another Toy Story. Uh, let's get away from this one. Let's get away from this one. There's no Toy Stories. There's no Toy Stories. Okay. All right. I mean, I just would have guessed. It would. It would have been a waste of a of a thing because I would have guessed. Toy Story 2, and then you would have been like, no. And then I've been like, Toy okay. Story 3. And then you would have been like, you're out. You've lost the game. <laughs> okay. So. I mean, we can burn that then, and I can give you years. No, 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 no. Although, actually, I might. Actually, yes. Because, yes, let's pretend I said Toy Story 2 and Toy Story 3. Because I'm having kind of. Oh, wait. No, no, no. This my, di- is my dinner with Andre. Evil. My dinner, my dinner with, Andre. with Andre. Yes? yes. Okay. All right, so one voice thing that's not any of the Toy Stories, and then one the other years. thing. Yeah, give me the years. 2004, 2013. 2004 is the voice year, I will say. Oh. Uh. Incredibles? Yes, Incredibles. Who is he in The Incredibles? He plays a character called Gilbert Huff. I don't remember him at all. No, okay. I do not either. <laughs> all right, 2013, 2013... So semi recent Wallace Shawn. There was no sequel to Um Clueless that happened later on. Oh. This is bad. I'm not gonna be able to get this. this. I he is third build in this movie. He uh it features a male and female the top two build are a male and female, much younger stars. At least one of them has been previous challenge for you on the IMDB game. Um it is first time direct no, not a first time, a second time director, I believe, who is more known for comedy being a comedy performer. The director is known for being a comedy performer? Yes, but like British, it's based on... Is it a a Mr. Bean kind of a thing? No. Maybe the comedy thing won't help you. Um, uh, Featuring a recent, at that time, Best Actor nominee. So 2013, so recent Best Actor nominee. Young. Young. 20... Based on a very uh, academic novel, I would say, based off of this author. Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg in a movie based on a novel by Dostoevsky. Oh, the double? A double. Wow! Would I never have gotten that? Yeah, it was a little evil of me. Sorry. Yikes. I gave you Sally Field. Wow. Okay. Um, And you know what that was? That was gay rights. That was gay rights right there. All right. Excellent job. That, I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to put the kibosh on that as our episode. If you want more This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff, and where can they donate their money for a good cause during Pride Month or any month? 
Absolutely. Okay. So, uh, I, I will also be posting links for donation for donations to our organizations on our Tumblr and on our Twitter account. Um, you can find me at Chris V file on Twitter and letterbox. I keep a running, uh, this at Oscar buzz list where you can find direct links to episodes and IMDb game stats. Um, I also write regularly at the film experience. I am once again, I am donating and I encourage you to do so as well to the kaleidoscope youth center of Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Excellent. I am Please also do. on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. Also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed spelled the same way. I am donating to and inviting you all to donate to the Alley Forney Center in New York City. As Chris said, he will be putting links to those places on our Tumblr page and also probably up on Twitter, I would imagine. So... We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so get your face out of the star quarterback's lap already and write us something sweet, won't you? That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz. Oh. Everyone's a winner.